Paratruth Radio is a proud member of Evergreen Podcasts on KillerPodcast.com. Christian and non-Christian paranormal investigators. They have two different views, and it seems as if neither of them can ever agree on anything. So what happens when a mainstream view of the paranormal crosses paths with the Christian view? What's up, folks? Welcome to a brand new episode of Paratruth Radio. My name is Eric. And I'm Justin. And today we are kicking off a brand new series for this season of Paratruth Radio. And this particular series is going to put a lot of focus on certain states throughout our Mm -hmm. country uh, in which people tend to see the most cryptids. And of course, we're going to go ahead and kick off with the very first one, which is Ohio, what I consider to be the the heart of America, mainly because <laughs> of its shape. Um, so it is my home state, our home state, and uh, we're going to get into that. But first, a little bit of house cleaning, as always. There are a few things I think we need to talk about or share again. We want everybody to know that there is... That if you're interested, we do have the option for you to join the Paratruth Plus Club. It is an exclusive exclusive club to every fine individual who's interested in gaining some awesome access to our show. It's only $5 a month. And at this level, you're definitely helping with the workload and the show. At this level, you're definitely helping with the workload and will show and prove that you are, of course, the one and only true paratruther now, obviously they're not really a one and only because if there's more than one of you in the paratruth club there's several one and onlys but i think i do have to fix the wording on that, <laughs> <but> <laughs> uh you know the thing is we we love our show and we love you guys and we wouldn't have a show if it wasn't for all of you tuning in uh so we we're really 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 proud of the support you guys show us and we can only continue doing this with your added support uh, so that we can dedicate more of our time and efforts into bringing you awesome shows each and every week. Uh, So if you are interested in joining the Paratruth Plus Club, uh, again, it's $5 a month and you will gain access to our Patreon exclusive Discord server, which means you have full access to us 24-7. You can message us any time of day uh, and any day of the week and we will answer you pretty much immediately. You'll also receive a thank you video from us. You'll gain access to our monthly true crime show, Crime Crack, which we're going to have more coming soon for those of you who are already tuned into some of them. Uh, You will be able to submit questions for upcoming guests or for us if we do a show on a specific topic alone. So again, here we are doing cryptids. If you have any specific questions about cryptids or a particular topic you want to share or want us to talk about, you can Definitely, by joining this Paratruth Plus Club, reach out to us and tell us, and we're guaranteed to see it. Um, And then, of course, you'll have exclusive chances to win Paratruth swag. Uh, These will be giveaways. Justin and I have been talking, and we're going to be having something happening relatively soon. So hang in there. We're going to have something cool, and it's going to be a lot of fun. So for any of you interested in doing that, 
definitely join us. Become a great part of our team. Why be just a listener when you could be a paratruther? Uh, we consider you one of our producers. So mm-hmm. definitely do that. It, it's, it's, it's a good thing. Believe me, we wouldn't have put it up there if it wasn't going to benefit you guys somehow. Um, I know like a lot of, a lot of places out there, a lot of podcasts even, they put these things out there in hopes of benefiting themselves only. And really, that's not what this is. None of the money that you guys give us is actually going to us. It's going directly back into the show. Everything mm. you hear, all the content, all the media services, all of that needs to be paid for. Uh, so any donations that you guys provide us with goes right back to the show. So don't worry. We are not profiting off of you guys. That is not the case. That is not what our plan is. We just want to bring a great radio each and every week. Well, um, and you can donate any other denomination. I'm not sure if it's on Patreon, but if you go to paratruthradio.com, just click on the PayPal logo and you can donate whatever you want. A single donation. I believe you can do monthly donations through the PayPal link as well. But if you're just looking for a single one-time donation, just go straight to Paratruth Radio and it's right there for you. Awesome. So, Again, as I said a little bit earlier, we are talking about cryptids of Ohio. Uh, there are a lot more cryptids than I thought that there were going to be. But during yeah. a lot of the readings <laughs> and these articles that we read, uh, I come to learn that Ohio is actually considered the melting pot of monsters, of American monsters, because there are basically more sightings of monsters and various monsters in Ohio than there are anywhere else in the country. Why that is, I have no idea. I'm sure it has to deal with the location between Canada and the east and the west and the south and, say, the and all that stuff. You know, we're, we're pretty central for a Midwestern, you know, state. And I think Ohio has state. a lot of more cultures than the more you go west, you kind of mm-hmm. lose the, the diversity a little bit because a lot of people come from the east side of the, the country. So, right, um, right. well. And yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think before we go ahead and get into some of these monsters, I think it'd be cool to just kind of tell everybody a little bit about mon- about oh geez, about Ohio. Things that honestly I didn't even know about, but Ohio is a pretty central place, and here's why. First and foremost, uh, Ohio is actually named after the Iroquois, I believe is the correct ter- pronunciation, uh, Iroquois word Ohio, O-H-I-Y-O. It actually means large creek which very well could be in reference to the Cuyahoga Valley here in Northeast Ohio. Um, It actually, you know, Ohio obviously lies in the Midwestern United States, and it's home to a number of firsts, such as America's first automobile, built by John Lambert in 1891, the first use of x-rays in surgery in 1896. It is, of course, the home of Superman, created by Jerry Siegel, and Joe Shuster in 1933, which is really cool. There's some places around Ohio where you go. There's huge statues of Superman here and there around town. It's pretty cool. Oh, um, honestly, I didn't. I never knew that. Yeah, it's a, it was actually here in Cleveland. So if you came, if you ever came to Cleveland, there's a Superman statue downtown, and then there's also a like a bronze statue, and then there's also a colored Superman statue at the airport. Um, so there's that. Uh, also interesting is the invention of the pop-top can was from right here in Ohio in the 1960s. There were eight presidents which were either born in Ohio or lived there 
or here, uh, when they were elected. Along with the presidents, Ohio produced movie director Steven Spielberg, who's from Cincinnati, as well as Wes Craven. Uh, the first man on the moon, Neil Armstrong, is from Ohio. Inventor Thomas Edison, you guessed it, Ohio. Uh, author Toni Morrison, actors Clark Gable and Jim Thurston Howell III, Bacchus. And of course, as you all know, as we've talked about it in the past, murderer Charles Manson is from right here in Ohio as well. Uh, believe it or not, he also, Charles Manson, wrote the first draft of the Beach Boys song, Never Learn Not to Love. Mm, that's interesting. Seems like uh, Ohio no. has a lot of serial killers that <laughs> call home to Ohio. Yeah, yeah well, you know. <laughs> so it's a weird place to be, I guess. Um so Ohio isn't actually a very big state at all. It's one of the smaller states. It actually ranks 34th uh, as the 34th largest in, in the country. Oh, wow. uh, but it ranks 7th in population, which would possibly explain the melting pot of monsters. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, Rolling Plains make up most of all topped off by the Appalachian Plateau, uh, consisting of hills and valleys. If you ever drive through uh, western or southern Ohio, even far east, you'll start to see a lot of the plains. Uh, pretty much anywhere that isn't Cleveland, Columbus, or Cincinnati, you're going to see a lot of the Plains area. Um, and then, of course, there are about 312 miles of Lake Erie shoreline, which stretch across two-thirds of the northern section of the state. And more than, get this, 8.1 million acres of Ohio lie under the cover of trees, which would explain a lot when it comes to the monsters, the cryptids. Mm-hmm lurking in the woods so with all of that really interesting information i think it's time to get into our first cryptid justin i'm gonna let you take it away and choose which cryptid you'd like to discuss first let's hear what you got um actually i'm gonna start with the um the oh what's the name here loveland's frogman um, because it's actually kind of interesting. There's been several sightings, um, but it also kind of coincides with one of the other cryptids, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But uh, the first sighting was in uh, May of 1955. An anonymous man reported that he was driving on a road along the Miami River around 3.30 in the morning in Clemont County when he claims he had spotted three creatures in the road. They were described by him as being three to four feet tall, having frog-like heads that had no hair. One held a a wand-like stick above its head. The wand started shooting sparks, which scared the man so much that he fled the area. The next report came from police officer Ray Shockey. He stated on March 3rd, 1972, around 1 a.m., he was patrolling on Riverside Road heading towards Loveland. Since the roads were icy, he was not driving very fast. He came upon something odd in the road. It darted across in front of his cruiser, and he slammed on the brakes. The frog-like creature stood up on two feet, staring down the officer. The creature then ran and jumped over a guardrail. He last saw the creature running down the embankment embankment, and disappearing into the Ohio River. And then the last one was uh, two weeks later by police officer Mark Matthews, who claimed to have observed it also. Years later, he he recanted his story with claims that he had reported it 
Um, and I came across something about that, actually. Um, he had said to Weird Ohio um, in 1999 that uh, he explained that he was tired of talking about the Frogman, that what he had seen was an iguana. But at the time, both witnesses definitely saw something like an upright man-like lizard about four feet tall. Now, the thing that got me here is whether it was a frogman or an iguana, why was there an iguana in the middle of a field in Ohio? Well, and I, not just that, but how <laughs> big is that iguana if you mistake right. it as a frogman, which is supposedly three to four feet tall? Right. I mean... Um, so, and you know, uh, the, the interesting thing about this one too, is the most recent sighting was in 2016, um, by a young couple playing Pokemon Go, no less, uh, where they saw a giant frog-like creature that stood on two legs and walked towards them. Um, there is like a picture Pokemon that... go it could have just been a Pokemon <laughs> on their device and... well they caught a picture of this creature apparently and okay. I've seen the picture so to me I mean this picture it's it's really hard to tell because it looks like it was almost nighttime like dusk time so the the uh, illumination on the frog itself is very limited but then it's got these glowing eyes, almost like it's a lens flare. But, and Eric, I don't think you've seen a frog with lens flare. You know, like I mean, I've in never, the dark. I've never really taken a picture. I haven't looked at it. I mean, when I go looking at animals online, it's usually like wolves or lions or, you know, tigers, things like that, big things. I never look up online with like, hey, let, let me see what frogs look like at night. So that's something I should look up. Just now to find out if they glow because I know like a lion's eyes they they're they spooky glow, you know. Right. Um, wolves eyes do too. Uh, but I'd imagine like I wouldn't doubt it because I feel like any nocturnal creature, anything that hunts at night specifically, has this really weird shine to their eyes whenever there's a flash on them or just the right angle of light. Uh, Like most dark pictures that I've seen, I don't see a lens flare in the mm-hmm. eyes for frogs. And it could be just the way that the lenses are are made for amphibians. But, I mean, to me, this picture, yeah, it could be a frog. And maybe since it's a cryptid, it acts differently to to pictures but to me it almost looks like a diver with headlamps on now not saying that it's fake because i really can't tell but that's what it kind of looks like to me yeah so um so yeah that that was the last sighting of of this this cryptid the the loveland frogman um so I, it's hard to tell like what it is like the uh, officer Matthews in 99 says the one that he saw was an iguana, which still raises questions that doesn't answer to me that what he saw was an iguana. Like I said, first off, like you said, why was that 
such a large iguana or, or why did he see such a large creature if it was just mm-hmm. an iguana? Because iguanas can get six feet long, but more times than not, you're going to see a tail and not right. a frog-like creature. So Right. Well, yeah, and this frog-like creature seems to stand on its hind legs in as many of the accounts. Um, but even if it was on all fours, I mean, a typical, typical iguana, you know, it's just the shape of it in and of itself like it's got the spikes on the back it's got right you know its head sits up significantly higher than in the rest of its body but a frog is kind of very slowly slopes from nose to, to to its back end so you would you would see like if you saw a frog i think you'd know it was a frog compared to an iguana anyway um but i mean what do i know i've never <laughs> seen a frog man and i've never seen an iguana in the wild so you know who knows <laughs> All right. Well, we'll move on to the next one here. Uh, whatever one that you want to move on to from the Loveland Frogman. Okay. So the next one I think I want to talk about because why not is of course the Dogmen uh, of Ohio, or also AKA known as werewolves. Now I know they're to to cryptozoologists. There's a bit of a difference between Dogmen and werewolves, but more or less they're pretty much the same thing. Uh, now, the majority of dogman sightings have happened within the Michigan area, but around 1972 to, oh, I think, a few years ago, uh, there have been quite a few documented sightings of the dogman right here in Ohio as well. Now, that don't know if that means that they're crossing over from Michigan or if they're just, uh, uh, you know, the new pack or new breed of, of dogman or if they could be coyotes. They very well could be coyotes, and I can get into that a little bit later. Um, but basically, there have been numerous reported dogmen or werewolf sightings and attacks uh, within Allen County, Defiance County, Delphus, London, Central Ohio, which is the Columbus area, Middlefield, and Norton, Ohio. Now, what I'm going to go ahead and do is just go through a couple of these really interesting um, accounts that are by either police officers or have been accounted to the police department. Uh, So here we go. The first one is in Defiance, Ohio. Now the events of this in Defiance, Ohio were documented by local newspapers uh, from the Defiance and Toledo uh, areas. Now in July and August of 1972, claims are of these separate incidents of people being attacked between 1 a.m. and 4.30 a.m., Now, the attacker was described to police as a person with an animal head with fangs. The local police started searching for it as a wolfman. It was always described as six to eight feet in height, hairy, dressed in jeans and a shirt with bare furry feet and a caveman-like canter. Now, the sightings, incidents, and attack occurred along the Norfolk and Western Railroad tracks. Three separate incidents took place near Fifth Street. The chief at the time, Donald Breckler, was quoted by news as saying the PD, that is the police department, did not realize or did not release the first report to news media. It supposedly occurred a week prior. Now, after the next reports were made, they decided to take the safety of the people in town more seriously. Reports from three different people claimed to have seen something that looked like a werewolf along the railroad tracks in downtown Defiance. They gave it the name The Wolfman, while the residents still called it The Thing. Now, the creature was next spotted by a train crewman, Ted Davis. 
Mr. Davis told the local newspaper, The Blade, which is the name of the newspaper, which, by the way, is a pretty cool name for a newspaper. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> he said, I was connecting an air hose between two cars and was looking down. I saw these huge hairy feet. Then I looked up and he was standing there with that big stick over his shoulder. The creature supposedly threw a two by four, striking the man in the shoulder. He suffered minor injuries, but then went on to say, when I started to say something, the creature took off into the woods. Now it was spotted early the next morning at around 3 a.m. by another train crewman by the name of Tom Jones. They supposedly tried to attack a couple of other train crewmen as well in the same manner, but they managed to get away. The third reported sighting of the creature to defiance police was from a motorist who claimed it ran out in front of his car around 4 a.m., but it then quickly ran ran off. Now, after the reports kept rolling in to the police department, people living along the railroad tracks would call in to complain that on several nights around 2 a.m., something would raffle the door, rattle the doorknobs, scratch at the windows, and attempt to get inside their homes. A several residents reported being stalked while at night, walking at night. Now, of course, even though these sightings supposedly continued, the police were never actually able to catch the creature or whoever it was running around. And by around mid-August of that same year, which was, again, 1972, the reports have just stopped and the investigations were closed completely. Now, what's really interesting about this, I mean, first and foremost, Ohio is very prominent with its railroad system. Uh, We were, you know, Ohio was once the heart of railroad industry um, for a while, uh, shipping oil in particular back and forth. But I think what's really interesting about this is that some of these eyewitnesses claim that at around 2 a.m. there would be something walking around the neighborhood, rattling doorknobs and scratching on windows trying to get into the house. Last week, I had brought up a story about the Brazilian werewolf and what it really was. But some of the reports on the Brazilian werewolf were the same, that this creature would go around trying to get into people's homes by – trying to rattle doorknobs or scratching on the door. And I find that really interesting because this is back in 1972 and vastly different from what appeared in Brazil. And yet there's a very similar kind of story here based on how the creature reacted around humanity. Now, even though the creature attacked these people, it's, it's not like your typical werewolf attack, what you would consider werewolf attack, because a dog man, unlike a werewolf in this case, is much more man than it is wolf in a sense. I mean, here it's wearing clothing. I don't remember the last report that I ever read, Justin, about a werewolf that wore clothes. They've always right. been full on beasts. Right. Um, so that's really interesting to me as well. It could be somebody who is just messing around. That's a possibility, of course. Um. But there were a couple of other uh, sightings as well throughout throughout town. This one I thought was really interesting. This one's in central Ohio, Columbus area uh, in August of 2005. So relatively more recently, mm-hmm. uh, a truck driver called into Coast to Coast Radio telling the G- DJ, Ian Punnett, he saw something odd one night. Now, he would give his first name as Scott only, but – He went on to say that as he was driving, his headlights lit up upon a large beast along the road, crouched down, eating a deer. 
The creature was described as looking like a cross between an ape with a dog's head and the werewolf from the Van Helsing movie. Which, you know, werewolves kind of have an apish looking, you know, bigger upper body, slightly smaller lower body. I kind of get that. Um, Let's see. Middlefield, Ohio. People are saying that the creature looked to be about six feet tall with a bushy tail. Uh, Some say it had silvery gray or dark fur with tips of silver gray. Um, It it was some say that or described it as having fur on its back, which was thicker uh, than the rest of the fur on its body. Um, There were some families in Norton, Ohio, that say that they heard howling or chickens being stolen by wolf-like creatures. Uh, What else? Let's see. Um, Allen County, Ohio, a man reported seeing the creature in a bean field uh, that led to a small wood not far from his house. Uh, he said that it was humanoid, also around six feet tall, covered in gray or pink skin, uh, had long ears like a dog, but it was very muscular. He said that he only saw the back, but it, but he said it was human looking from the waist down with muscular uh, striations on the back of the legs. And then, of course, there's one more in London, Ohio, in which a woman uh, was taking care of her four-year-old child while her husband was away at work in the 1980s. And she looked out the back window, heard noises, and saw what looked like eyes glowing in the woods. Uh, She thought it was a dog. And then after she completed her task, she went to another room, looked outside again, and the dog was still staring at her, only it was her height. Uh, staring back at her. So it wasn't something she was looking down at. It was a creature she was looking directly into, uh, like, you know, if you're standing right in front of a person. So interesting stuff here. You know, what's mm-hmm. really interesting about the dogmen in these stories is I, I think some of some of the accounts, especially like this one in which people heard howling or howls and then chickens being stolen by wolf-like creatures. I mean, Chickens being stolen isn't a normal thing for a werewolf to do. They usually hunt larger prey. Um, And also we got some of this pink and gray skin, pointed ears, kind of muscular looking. Uh, We got thick fur on the back. Uh, We got some gray or dark fur with silver, like tinges of fur on it. You know, Mm -hmm. all of this, again, even though I really would love for it to be a dog, man, uh, sounds a lot like the Northeastern coyotes here in Ohio and New York, uh, Pennsylvania areas, even in Mich- Michigan and Wisconsin, because the coyotes in these areas aren't your typical coyotes that you have out West. The coyotes out West are pretty small, only a f- couple feet high, two, three feet tall, uh, you know, from paws to shoulders. And the coyotes in this area of the country in the Midwest are actually coyote wolf hybrids or coyote dog hybrids. So they're significantly larger by around 50 pounds, anywhere from 20 to 50 pounds larger than your typical coyote. Um, They tend to have thicker fur, more pointed ears. They hunt larger prey. Uh, I hear them all the time howling and yipping in my area uh, where I live. Um, And they will. They'll attack like even deer. They'll attack deer. They'll attack large prey, dogs, cats. Uh, you name it, they'll, they hunt as packs. So I feel like even though these are really interesting, it could be a, like possible that some of these sightings are simply just coyote sightings because these coyote sightings, these, these hybrid coyotes 
are relatively new to the area. They, they just started coming back into, into Ohio in particular uh, within mm-hmm. the last decade or two. Um, so they're relatively new. And I've seen coyotes around here, and they are ridiculously massive, uh, like scary massive, some of them. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, I think I think that's what it is. Most coyotes, again, they hunt in the early morning hours or really late night. So we're looking at 1 to 4.30 a.m. here, much like these accounts. Coyotes don't typically hunt during the day. It's not their thing. Um, but still, there's a couple of things that are interesting. One account says that they saw the man from behind or the wolf from behind, and it looked like it was a man, kind of. Um, another one said that they saw the person wearing jeans and a t-shirt. I mean, that's not a typical coyote, right? Especially if it's right. holding a two by four and is whacking people with it. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it's, it's really weird to me, like some of these dogman sightings, but you also can't really discount them because there's really no evidence to support, nor is there evidence to disprove the truth of such creatures existing. Right. Well, I mean, that one, the one with the clothes to me almost sounds like somebody in a costume, like a werewolf costume, because there are werewolf costumes where the creature is wearing even tattered clothes. Right. And and this guy was just going around harassing people. So that that one to me almost sounds like that. But um well, especially with the two by four, I mean, like even right. the dog man, from what I understand, based on all of the the research and, and the reports that you and I have read over the years, I've never heard of a dog man hitting somebody with a two by four. So that very much seems too human like, you know, not much right. animal characteristic there. I've heard of them throwing rocks like like Bigfoot sightings. OK. okay. And, and that sort of thing, but never using like a tool such as a two by four to hit people. Not mm-hmm. that the that these creatures might not be intelligent like that. It's just there's no real accounts of that. It's more so they're either flinging something or charging somebody. Mm-hmm. So that that is what leads me to think that, especially with the clothes thing, the clothes thing is what really points me in the direction of somebody in a in a costume, and it just freaks somebody out so much that their mind went to. Uh, something that was a cryptid or more supernatural in nature than just a guy in a costume. Right. And especially like with, with some of the places that like these train crewmen, for example, were working um, the majority of the trains, uh, at least in this part of Ohio, the Northeastern part of Ohio, the tracks run through the Metro parks and the national parks. So you typically have woods on either side. So depending on the time of day you're working, even during the day, I mean, the national park can get a little eerie when you're in the park by yourself. Oh, absolutely. Um, So, you know, these guys are working on these trains and suddenly something they don't expect or someone comes out, even in a costume, uh, tries to hit them or whatever, and then sprints off. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot to take in in such a short period of time. So it very well could be mistaken identity in that particular case. Um, but again, we can't discredit this. We we need proof to discredit such an event, but we also need proof to uh, acknowledge and put the check mark as a check mark down as yes, this was indeed a cryptid who attacked him. So, you know, unfortunately, as it is with many of these cryptid accounts. We're we're both baffled and uh, intrigued at the same time, but with no actual <laughs> proof to say yes, this was a, a indeed a dog man or a werewolf or vice versa. So, right, 
Yeah. Well, I think that can lead us into the next one that I was looking at here. And it's actually a really interesting one only because there was actually only one sighting of it. Um, This was a sighting that goes back to March of 1959, uh, the Charles Mills Lake monster, uh, which uh, Mill Lake Reservoir sits in between Cleveland and Columbus, Ohio. Uh, The reservoir was constructed in 1935 by damming the black forest on the Mohican river. Now the, uh, this mysterious cryptid has only been documented once. Like I said, uh, teenagers, Denny Patterson, Wayne Armstrong and Michael Lane were running amok near the shores of the Charles Mills Lake when they saw something that terrified them out of the water came a seven foot tall armless humanoid. The boys noted that the creature had glowing green eyes and massive webbed feet. After the boys reported what they had seen, authorities searched the area, finding footprints that they thought resembled tracks that scuba and snorkel diving fins would leave behind. Now, this is the most descriptive uh, article that I had seen on this. I haven't seen anything that went into any more real detail, unless maybe, Eric, you did. Um, But... It kind of coincides with one of our other creatures, the orange eyes, um, mm-hmm. which we'll talk in about it in a little bit here. But uh, it's in the general same area as this creature. So it's interesting that there was only one account of this particular cryptid. Um, now, to me, um, and this kind of can coincide with the Crosswick monster too, only because, like Eric said, Ohio's not that big. So these creatures could move relatively uh, quickly um, throughout the Ohio area, but it had no feet, but web or no arms, sorry, but webbed feet almost makes it sound a little bit like the Loveland Frogman. Mm-hmm. but they did, they didn't see the, the features of the face um, and, and they didn't see arms, but in the dark, you really, you really can't see a whole lot. So, to me, I'm not so sure what they really saw. Um, if it was a uh, a diver coming out of the water, his arms could have been at his sides, him just like walking up onto shore from there. Um, it's just an odd one because, like I said, there's only one sighting. So I honestly can't say one way or the other. Did you find anything more on this particular cryptid? No, there's there's really not much more on this because, like you said, it is one sighting. So we, you know, there's only so much information you can compile off of one eyewitness account, um, and no one actually came forward. You know, usually you hit one account and somebody will come forward later on and be like, "Oh, I saw it too," or you know, something mm-hmm. like that. But that didn't happen right. in this case. Um, so yeah, whatever they saw, I don't know. I mean, it could have been. Um, it very well could have been. You know, again, just somebody who who is, like you said, someone who's just out there doing whatever they're doing, snorkeling or scuba diving uh, in this lake for whatever reason, maybe playing a prank. Uh, it also could have very well just been these these kids uh, who who happened to see a monster that night. Uh, mm-hmm. What's really interesting to me is that it was supposedly uh, or supposedly had glowing green eyes, and when you think of like of reflections of light. 
you know, typically you wouldn't see something at night and just see like like a human, for example. The, the goggles wouldn't reflect green light unless you had a green light. Um, unless they were like some type of special whatever, like night vision type things. Maybe there's something on there, you know, something light or like uh, infrared. You know, we have the red glowing lights for infrared light. But aside from that, like, I don't know. You know, it's it's really, really an interesting creature. Uh, but the fact that whatever it was mimicked, it's its footing mimicked much of a dive, like a diving fins. One can probably assume possibility that it was just a diver. Um, right. But yeah, so as you had said, this creature has been considered uh, – to have much commonality with another creature on our list here in Ohio. Uh, now there have been people who say that it is the same creature. There have been people who say that there is a significant uh, distinction between the two, but nonetheless, there is another one near what you said, like around 20 miles uh, near the same area that this mill Lake monster was. Uh, and it's known as the orange eyes. Plain and simple. Um, now, Orange Eyes is reported, reportedly to be about 11 feet tall. This, that's the case. This is one of the biggest monsters I think we've ever spoken of uh, mm. here on Parachute Radio. And one of the heaviest, weighing in at 1,000 pounds. Now, it is said that the creature looks humanoid or ape-like and had once lived beneath the Cleveland Riverside Cemetery. Now, after its home was destroyed by a highway construction crew in the 1940s, it was forced to move to the wooded area near Mill Lake. It is there that it began terrorizing residents of Mill Lake for decades afterwards. Now, first reports of the orange eyes began, uh, orange eye encounters began in 1963. As the encounters began to come uh, more and more frequent, the creature became more aggressive and vicious. In April of 1968, a group of children saw the monster near Mill Lake just after dark. Using flashlights, they began chasing the monster with baseball bats and ropes. Now, much to their parents' delights, the creature evaded them. Those are some brave kids, if they're yeah. depending on their age. Um, now, reports on seeing orange eyes occurred in many different years, uh, the last of which was in June of 1991. The creature was seen by some fishermen who were fishing near Will's Creek, Willis Creek. Uh, and the horrified witnesses watched as the monster disappeared back into the woods near them. <clears throat> now, what's interesting about this creature, though, is that some don't think that maybe it is a monster. Some think that maybe it's an alien, an extraterrestrial. In October 18th of 1973, in the same area, there was a UFO spotted by eyewitnesses near the Charles Mill Reservoir. Now, the UFO reportedly emitted a green beam of light toward the ground. Afterwards, it then had an encounter with a military-type helicopter. Which is really interesting. That's where that story ends. But right. people think that because of it, obviously the government was after whatever this was, and it ended up you know, not being able to take back its alien host or you know, crew member and left them behind to terrorize the area. Um, the, the fact that this is like taking place, not only at Mill Lake, but the fact that there's two accounts now, both with children 
involved. The first one being that children saw it with green eyes. The second one being that a group of children chased it. Um, I find that really interesting. Almost as if it could be a lure, like it somehow prefers to to go after children or be around children for whatever reason. Maybe, yeah. Uh, You know, um, I don't know if there's something there. But I don't know. Like even with that, there's really not much to go on. You know, there, there's there's a few eyewitness accounts, all claiming to be a tall creature with orange eyes, not green. So that differs from from the from, the Mills monster, Mills Lake monster, the Charles um, yeah Mill Lake monster. Yep. But the fact that the Charles Mill Lake monster still showed up after the 1940s when the orange eyes monster supposedly had its home destroyed and moved into mills lake uh is really interesting so it very well could be one in the same creature just you know it, it's one of those things if you look at a star for example in the sky and it seems to change color blue then orange and red uh, yeah. or you look at a light directly on it looks one color but when you look at it from the side it looks like a different color that could be what's happening here too i mean green and orange kind of go hand in hand in this type of scenario uh, of color changes you know if you look at an, the color orange in a certain way it could have a light in particular it could look green depending on the type of light that it's outputting or based on the type of voltage or have the amount of voltage it's outputting uh, so there could be a small flicker that you might see out of the infrared side of your eye that changes the color compared to what you're seeing directly on. So there is that possibility that these kids were seeing the same thing, but somehow had the glowing eyes colored differently in their minds. Um, I don't know. What, what do you think? What, what's what's happening here? Do you have any other information on this? Thing? Um, I hadn't seen anything else on the orange eyes either. Um, just like the Charles mill monster. So uh, to me, it, I, I almost feel that it is one in the same creature. It's just maybe, like you said, the the light was caught differently when they saw the, the Charles Mill Lake monster. Um, as you said, the sighting in 1959 would coincide with after the destruction of the Orange Eyes creature's home being um, destroyed. The only difference in the depictions is the height um because i believe the the charles um yeah the charles mills lake monster was only reported to be seven feet tall instead of 11 feet tall but again like we've said with all these other creatures it unless you have something in comparison to you really can't tell what this creature is in height. So um, it could have been a mistake in the height as well. When, when they saw the Charles like, or Charles mill like monster. Right. Um, so that, I mean, to me, I think those two cryptids could be one in the same and quite possibly could be aliens of some kind. If there was a UFO sighting in 1973, that coincided with the Charles Mill Reservoir and a UFO like beaming down a, a, a light to the ground for some reason. Right. Whether mm-hmm. that was to drop somebody off or pick somebody up, nobody knows because they didn't see that much. But yep. um, it's actually it's an interesting set of creatures because it could have been one in the same. Um, now to go into 
the next creature here, which coincides again with the the uh, Loveland Frogman, is the uh, Crosswick monster. Now, the Crosswick monster was seen about two hundred over two hundred years ago, uh, about twenty miles north of Loveland Frogman's territory. Uh, the report began when two small boys belonging to John Lynch, ages 13 and 11, were playing on the banks of a small creek when they were startled by a large snake-like creature. As the boys watched, it sprouted arms and snatched one of them, dragging him nearly 100 yards to a massive sycamore tree. Three men who were fishing a short distance from the boys, heard them screaming and saw the creature. They took chase to rescue the boy, at which point the creature became alarmed, unfastened its fangs, and dropped the half-dead child to the ground. The sycamore tree was believed to be the creature's den as the monster dropped the child just outside of a hole in the tree. Dr. Elsie Lukens of Waynesville was called to take care of the child. Later, the 26-inch diameter tree was chopped down by dozens of men using saws and axes. This caused the serpent-looking creature to reappear. They went after it, but the monster escaped by crashing through a fence and darting into a cavern. The men described the monster saying it was 30 to 40 feet long and 12 to 14 feet tall, 16 inches around, and legs 4 feet long. It was covered with scales like a lizard. They were black and white in color with large yellow spots the head about 16 inches wide with a long forked tongue and a mouth inside deep red the crosswick monster was never seen again but it was witnessed by more than 60 men who have claimed to have seen it at that time now to me this in particular sounds more like a large iguana or iguana like creature oh maybe even um the uh komodo dragon Mm -hmm. um because of it attacking humans because it's very few as far as i know of komodo dragons attacking humans but they have um but again a komodo dragon in ohio where it gets pretty cold in some areas i i don't think any lizards would be living in, in Ohio, but um, that was the extent again on the, this creature. I could not find anything more than that. Um, did you find anything more on the crosswick? No, not much, but it's really interesting that like, I mean, it's been 200 years, of course. So it's really long time right. uh, since, since it was seen, but you bring up, creatures that were um that are technically cold-blooded and so therefore would it survive in ohio especially in the winter months uh but that doesn't mean somebody didn't bring the creature along there's actually a story uh about a python in peninsula ohio uh which is actually just about five minutes from where i'm at now um which of course the python isn't encrypted by any means but in 1944, there's a story that says that a circus train car tipped, spilling exotic snakes into the countryside uh, of Peninsula, Ohio. And even though most of them were recaptured, there was this one 20-foot python that evaded such capture and went around stalking livestock and swimming through the creeks and the rivers uh, through northern Ohio. 
so much so that women and children are actually advised to stay indoors and remain away from those creeks and the parks. Uh, now, eventually, winter came and people just hoped that it would die and no one ever saw anything since. But regardless, this is a case in which there was indeed a reptile, a cold-blooded reptile, here in Ohio. And not to say that snakes do live in Ohio, just not large snakes like this, you know, mm-hmm. uh, wild right. I mean. Um, but it's very possible that this was one of those creatures that just happened uh, to have been owned by somebody maybe and got got free or maybe maybe it was a crocodile or an alligator of some sort. Um, I mean, there there was a uh, a piranha caught in the the Cuyahoga River a uh, mm-hmm. few years back. That's something you don't see up here, which means somebody probably released it into the wild. Um, there's been an alligators around here as well. Not a very common thing by any means, but it happens. And these are usually just because people get tired or don't want the creature anymore. And instead of taking it back to where they got it or giving it to someone else, they just release it into the wild. And well. Then you've got horrible things happening because these creatures are wild animals. Uh, right. You know. Oh, anyway, um, there's another Bigfoot-like creature here in Ohio as well known as the Cedar Bog Monster. There's actually was, several that I've, I have yeah. saw and I, I thought it was interesting. <laughs> yeah, there's quite a few. Um, now, the Cedar Man or the Cedar Bog Monster is basically a Bigfoot of Ohio, one of the Bigfoot. Um, there's several of them. Um, but when the Cedar Bog was first opened as a nature preserve in 1942, Ohioans reported seeing a large ape-like creature in the area. After some teenagers went missing at the bog, the existence of the monster was solidified in the minds of the people. Shortly after the bog was fenced in, reportedly to keep people from wandering into it and keep deer and other wildlife from straying onto the road, um, the creature kind of disappeared. But hardcore cryptozoology uh, folks think it was designed to actually keep the creature inside and protect the people outside of the bog. Now, there's not much more that I have uh, information-wise on this creature other than it's a Bigfoot-looking thing Mm -hmm. in the cedar bog uh, thing. So another very small but yet important creature in Ohio um, and it probably, I mean, again, there's nothing here on it, but it probably goes along the lines of the Ohio grass man as well, which is also a very similar Bigfoot like creature too. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I mean, we've also got the Minerva monster, which is a Bigfoot type creature. Um, the, the grass man, again, I mean, it's kind of vague for the description of a thing other than uh, there's two distinct uh, differences from regular Bigfoot sightings compared to the grass man. That being the foot is only three toed compared to five toed, which a lot of Bigfoot sightings are. Mm -hmm. The other is they call it the grass man because the creature's fur almost looks green green in tinge. Um, and that could be from where it's living. Um, and that's, uh, in the Cuyahoga Valley national park areas. Um, so I mean, 
Bigfoot sightings in general have actually been quite common in Ohio. Um, but the Grassman, I mean, I, I read the description of everything else. Everything else almost sounds exactly like a Bigfoot sighting. Um, you know, growl, bark, cry like a baby, the howl or scream, um, the smell, almost a rotten egg-like smell, the snub-looking noses, broad chest and shoulders. So to me, this is almost a description of a Bigfoot, uh, but the toad, the, the three-toed thing is what catches my eye. And I mean, I guess there's been other sightings where it's got white, blackish brown, gray, coal black like fur colors as well. But um, it got the name Grassman because the one sighting or a couple sightings was it was a greenish tinge. So <laughs> that, I mean, to me, it, I mean, it totally could be a type of Bigfoot, maybe a, a uh, coincidence from inbreeding of certain Bigfoot. But um, yeah, I, it was interesting to see that the Grassman was not the only creature dubbed a different name other than Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. in Ohio. So, um, yeah. to, to save time, we've also got alien big or alien big cats. I, whenever I hear alien, I'm like extraterrestrial cats. What the heck is that? Um, <laughs> but, but all that really means is, uh, large cats that shouldn't be in the area that they are. Um, but the one picture that I saw again, kind of goes along the lines when, uh, from when we were talking about the England cats, the mm-hmm. one picture shows a cat, but it looks like it's just a close-up of a black cat. A house cat, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's very interesting. Um, and as far as I know, there's, there's I mean, there aren't any big cats in Ohio that I know of naturally. Um, right. There might be bobcats and things like that in southern. And in fact, I know there are. There's bobcats in uh, mid and southern Ohio, not here in northeastern Ohio that I know of. At least I haven't seen them. I'm sure there are, but they stay pretty far away from population, populated areas. Um, I know I've seen a bobcat out western Ohio, about two hours west of Cleveland. So I've seen one there. Um, And I'm sure there's mountain lions, too, uh, uh, around those areas. Especially southern, when you get closer to the Appalachian Mountains, uh, there's mm. many more bo- like bobcats and cougars and mountain lions and things like that over that way too. <coughs> um, and then, of course, there there is the all important water monsters, um, and the most famous here would be Bessie, which is our Lake Erie monster, uh, not unlike the Champ of Lake Champlain in New York or. Um, Nessie over there in is that Scotland, right? Yep. Is that yep. It? Okay. Uh, over there in Scotland. So uh, I think just real quick, I want to just say this because it's really interesting. Lake Erie, I mean, obviously it's a great lake. It's considered a great lake for a reason. It's got 9,940 square miles of surface area. But Bessie actually dates back to 1793 when a captain of the ship Felicity saw an enormous snake-like head emerge from the surface of Lake Erie. The neck alone he estimated to be more than 16 feet long. Then in 1817, another ship saw a 40-foot-long sea serpent, yet another that, and yet another that same year saw one estimated to be about 60 feet long. 
Now, the entire crew of a ship heading to Toledo, Ohio, in 1892, saw a sea serpent that appeared to be wrestling, as if fighting with an unseen foe. They said the monster was about 50 feet long, with brown skin and large flippers. Now, get this, sightings continued into the 20th century, with some of the most recent being in 1993. Now, for those of you that are interested in hunting monsters... Believe it or not, there is a $100,000 reward for the capture of Bessie, and it's been on the table for years. Yeah, I but remember when that first came out. <laughs> Bessie, of course, still remains a very much free serpent out there in the lake, and I'm pretty confident she will or he will never be found. Um, there is some belief, though, that maybe Bessie isn't actually a sea serpent like we would come to believe it to be, but instead might have been sturgeon, which once very much populated uh, Lake Erie and the Great Lakes. And sturgeon are pretty massive fish. Uh, so people well, sailing yeah. through Lake Erie would, yeah. I I came across um, a article because I, I saw sturgeon. I'm like, I've heard this term before i don't know what exactly what it is so i decided to look it up uh mm -hmm. the largest ever captured on record was in 1827 weighing 3463 pounds and over 24 feet long mm -hmm. so that, they, that's pretty massive right and they used to live in lake erie which is crazy I don't like Lake Erie to begin with. <laughs> well, that's because Double of the no. pollution now. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah, I I had to look that up. And when I saw how large, because at first I'm like, there's no way a, a fish, because I'm assuming that's what it was when <laughs> I heard the the name. There's no way that this this fish gets this large, but after finding that article, that it, it it can get pretty massive, at least on record. I mean, who knows off record how large others have gotten? Yeah, well, yeah, and, and I mean, and the average um, mass for at least for there's different types of sturgeon, but the mass of a beluga sturgeon is around two thousand five hundred pounds. Right, that's what this one was, was a beluga. Okay. Uh, a sterlet is 19 pounds, so relatively smaller. And then the white sturgeon is 990 pounds. And I think, yeah, there's actually a couple more. Uh, the European sea sturgeon, which we probably won't see around here, is 490 pounds. The starry sturgeon is 97 pounds. The kaluga, 1,200 pounds. The short, the short nose is 21 pounds, and the Japanese sturgeon is 230 pounds. So, you know, when, when, you, com when you compare, you know, 1,200 pounds, 2,500 pounds, 990 pounds, those are huge fish. <laughs> and definitely, if you're not used to seeing one of them, which I'm not, you would consider it to be a sea serpent for sure. Yeah. So it, that kind of makes you wonder. Especially since the one particular instance goes all the way back to, I believe it was 1793, 1783. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that makes you wonder if that's what really they came across. I, I don't know. But then again, like we've said before, you know, there's Champ from Lake Champlain, 
we've got Bessie in Ohio. Uh, there's Ogopogo in Canada. I believe there's another one in Canada. So maybe there's either a herd of these creatures or one or two that are traveling in between those areas. I mean, it's, yeah, it's very possible that something like that is happening. Um, there was a bull shark that travel, I mean, mighty bull shark, uh, they're, they're, they're ocean sharks, but they're capable of surviving both uh, saltwater and freshwater, which makes them one of the most dangerous sharks uh, just in terms of its living conditions. But they're also very high in testosterone, which literally makes them the most dangerous shark ever recorded um, and most deadly but they found a bull shark all the way up in Kentucky in the Mississippi River because the shark came in from the Gulf and followed the fresh Mississippi River water all the way north uh, by, you know, that's that's almost a thousand miles. That's a long way for it to travel away from its own habitat. So it's very possible that there are creatures that are just back and forth. You know, from from one place to another, swimming uh, long distances. Well, the bull shark, as far as I've read, is also one of the most adaptable. That it can it go is. from salt to it, fresh water without any yeah, problems. It, it has no problem at all switching from one or the other. There, there's no like incubation period for it or anything like that to to settle and relax. You know, any other shark that you place in in fresh water, lest it be something that you own in your fish tank. Um, you know, like a red tail shark or something like that, mm-hmm. they're going to die. So the bull shark is indeed the only shark known at least that can survive in both, which is what makes them so dangerous. Hmm. All right. So last creature that I, I wanted to share with you guys, because it's one that we've talked about before and it, it coincides with two separate States uh, is Mothman. Now, the reason Mothman is so famous in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, is because there were sightings between November 12th to November 15th um, in 1966. And on December 15th, 1967, it also coincided with the tragedy of the Silver Bridge collapse, which killed 46 people. Now, the interesting thing is, is as late as 1982, which I believe there's even more sightings after that, but this particular article on uh, paranormalinvestigating.com reports that in August of 1982, uh, a woman saw a creature at Rocky Fork Lake in Southern Ohio. She reportedly saw the same thing a year later. The creature had disguised itself as an upright tree or logs lying on the ground. She claims it looked like an old, tall, topless tree trunk that was about nine to 10 feet high catching movement. She then watched as it partially twisted at the top and moved back into the woods without a sound. She watched it unfold its wings that said had a span that appeared longer than those of a small airplane. She then noticed that it seemed to look like a tree once again. However, this time it's two eyes watched them. It was following Oh, it was the following year that she noticed the legs. They appeared to look like chicken legs, thin and short for the body. On the feet were three long slender toes with a hooked toe or nail on the lower portion. So, and Eric and I talked about this a little bit prior to recording. And, uh, you know, Southern Ohio 
and Point Pleasant, West Virginia, it, Point Pleasant's right over the river, which Eric had, had mentioned to me, which I kind of knew, but it made more sense once Eric explained that uh, that could be why there was sightings in Ohio, because maybe these creatures are traveling back and forth over the border of the river. So um, do you have any other information on any sightings for Mothman? No. Okay. No, I don't. Yeah, there's there's not much in regards to sightings on Mothman uh, on the Ohio side. There's only been a few, um, but of course they're pretty much outweighed or just outpopularized by those in West Virginia. So important, pleasant, right? Yeah. So, um, I don't, I don't think there was any other ones that I came across. Was there any other cryptids that you? All right, last thing I wanted to bring up for a break, uh, just because it's actually kind of interesting. There's a website called ohiocryptid.com. Uh, it was actually a website that was started in uh, 2009, but this guy that created it uh, started doing paranormal investigations and working with paranormal groups in 1996. So it's pretty cool because uh, he does have a book out which he advertises on there but um, you can click on a link or a tab that says report and you can report any sightings of cryptids to him Um, he does a cryptid 101 where he gives you kind of a breakdown of how to do cryptid investigations what types of tools you should have Uh, he's got a contact tab his blog special links about ohio cryptid so it was actually just a pretty awesome website that i wanted to bring up only because he does give you a way to not only report sightings but also do cryptid investigations yourself so i thought it was pretty awesome um the the gentleman's name that does the website is uh brian d parsons so, Brian, thank you so much for having a website like this. Uh, if you do listen to the show, I don't know if you do or don't, but thank you for having this website. Uh, so that's all we've got for the Ohio Cryptids. We are going to take a quick break, and we will be right back with Paratruth Radio. Hey, everyone. I'm Kat Ward, host of Paranormal Heart, your monthly paranormal podcast. Join me the last Sunday of every month as I speak to people who share their paranormal experiences. You can follow me on Podbean, YouTube, TuneIn, iTunes, Spotify, and Paranormal Radio. Bonjour. This is Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. I'm Andrew Pryor, and every week I bring you the wonderful and fabulous people involved in French food. Whether they're here in France like me, or from around the world. Each week, we dive into a specific topic, be it a French dish, an ingredient, or a French cuisine cooking technique. My guests are all about French food. So, come join me on Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. Bon app. There are spirits everywhere. Watching, waiting, seeking that opportune time 
to reveal themselves like no other. They fill our worlds with so much. Seriously? You didn't just do that. You farted on the promo? What's wrong with you? I thought you were professional. G go away. Go. I, I got it. I got it. Hey everybody, it's Brian Bowden, host of Nobo Boomy, where we explore deep inside the Goblin universe. We have an amazing show that covers the paranormal, conspiracies, music, art, entertainment, trending topics, and so much more. Please join us by subscribing to the show on Podbean at InsideTheGoblinUniverse.Podbean.com, on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and everywhere you find podcasts. It's an informative, fun, and overall entertaining good time, and uh, we'll keep the gas to ourselves. Why don't you burp next time? Someone give me Brian Anderson. Welcome back to Paratruth Radio. As always, my name is Eric. And I'm Justin. And today we've been talking about the cryptids of Ohio. And a lot of cryptids there were indeed. I yeah. actually did not expect to come across as many as I did, but... Again, as I said much earlier, there were several articles that had mentioned how Ohio was indeed a melting pot of monsters and that the large percentage of sightings of cryptids happen in Ohio. There's there's more, more, more cryptid sightings in Ohio than there are percentage-wise elsewhere in the United States or other states, you know, entirely. Um, mm -hmm. So really interesting. You know, we and, and we have everything from mountain monsters to Forest monsters, to lake monsters, to river monsters, uh, you name it. We, there's there's things we haven't even talked about here in Ohio, and that's the spiritual aspects of it. The, the multiple hauntings and ghosts uh, right. that riddle Northeast Ohio in particular. Um, Which we actually had canal. somebody on to do the like the Cleveland ghosts. Right. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and there's so much more we can get into with that side of it on an, in another uh, season or series at least. Um, and I don't know. It's, it's really interesting. I, I don't know why so much happens here in Ohio. <laughs> I don't know if there's a ley line or if you know what it is. But well, like I said, stuff. there's, I mean, let alone the, the number of serial killers that have either made their home in Ohio or were born in Ohio. Um, it, it baffles me how many of those we have from Ohio. So it's, mm -hmm. One of those things like, yeah, is there something in the water? There's <laughs> <laughs> something somewhere. Um, but it's, it, yeah, it's crazy. Like I, like I'm already at nighttime where I, where my parents live, where I'm at right now at night, I, I get a little, you know, eh, I don't know if I want to go out there. <laughs> you know, I pull in late, late, late at night in my car. I'm like, mm, I really want to walk from here all the way to the side of the house. Like, it's you know it's not bad, but the thing is, there are coyotes around here, and there's a lot of woods around my area, and we have deer that are like they're basically pets because they come and eat food that are right. like placed out for them, corn and stuff. So I'll come home at like two in the morning, and I'll walk to the side of the house, and we have like an automatic light, and the light flips on. And there's like seven deer standing there staring at me literally only about six to seven feet away from me. And it scares the heck out of me every time. Cause I'm like, geez, did not expect to see a bunch of massive deer hanging out right now at the house. Um, <laughs> but you know, with the amount of coyotes that are yipping and yapping at night and we got to be careful letting the dogs out. And you always have that thought, like when you're looking out in the woods 
at night where it's pitch black that maybe there is a dog man or some other creature looking to rip your throat out <laughs> staring back at you. I uh, mean, let alone large owls and hawks too yeah, in your uh, area. Oh, absolutely. There, you know, there's all kinds of stuff over here. Um, and it, it, it's even worse when you're driving through the park, through the metro parks, the national park, yeah. especially because that's where a lot of this stuff is seen. Um, so, yeah, it's really creepy. And again, you know, hopefully one day we'll soon we'll do a haunted Ohio one again for you guys. Um, where we'll be able to share some stuff. And, you know, I think we, we've done investigations so we can share some of our experiences uh, with some of the local hauntings here in Ohio. Um, and again, I know Justin's done some stuff in North Dakota. We've done that before, but we can do it again. Uh, yeah, I would love if I'm able to get out to Ohio, us yes. do recordings on site. I would even, love for you to come out here and do that because that would be great. <laughs> we can. I mean, if done, even if we didn't catch anything, we can at least go over the the sightings and the the legends and stuff. And, and that's if something we you and I have something done in a fine. really long time. And me and uh, the Ellie and I, yeah, we were with my parents. I forget where we went. We went somewhere like a few weeks ago, and we we're driving through the woods uh, along the national park, and. There was uh, what's the name of the bridge? It wasn't Crybaby. It was there. There was a bridge that you and I went to. It was a wooden bridge with a little uh, uh, roof on top, and we did our very first ghost box session on that bridge. Yeah, I don't. I don't remember what the name of the bridge is though. But it was in the area where they do the Civil War reenactments. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So we were driving past there and. Somebody, one of them, I think Ellie or somebody was saying how how pretty it was. And I was like, that's one of the most haunted spots in Northeast Ohio. And it's just really interesting to think like all the places you and I have, have investigated there, Indigo Lake, uh, various places around the canal. I mean, it's just like I drive past those places and I remember the things that we got either via voice box or via like EVPs or just our own personal experiences as we're out there alone in the silence. Um and it's really creepy to think about, like, we're not the only ones who had these experiences. You can go online and find hundreds and hundreds of reports of these same hauntings and monsters being seen on a relatively regular basis within Ohio. Right. Yeah. So if you ever want to go to Ohio, just make sure you know that it's rather creepy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you could be possessed, you could be eaten by monsters, you can right. be taken away by giant birds, who knows, swallowed up by <laughs> lake monsters. <laughs> the the, the uh, instances are endless. Um, <laughs> so what were you, uh, some of your final thoughts on this? Like, um, do you think some of these creatures could have been one in the same, maybe some type of extra, extraterrestrial yeah, phenomenon I mean, going on? I feel like... Uh, I can't really say anything about the extraterrestrial phenomenon thing because we're, we're, I would have to base that on one single report of a possible UFO and a green light True, yeah. that encountered a, what people believe to be a military grade helicopter. Whether or not that actually happened, I don't know. I didn't do the research to see if there was an actual like physical report, uh, either a police report or newspaper or something like that. That's something I could look up and get back to you guys next week, but I really can't base it off of that alone. Uh, However, I think the Mills Lake monster and the orange eyes very well could be one and the same creature. I think there's enough evidence to support that 
despite the very little, I mean, literally one uh, account of somebody seeing the quote unquote Mills Lake monster. Um, but that would, could be one for a reason. You know, everyone else knew it as the orange eyed monster uh, or glowing eye orange, whatever it was called. Um, and then this, these one kids just thought, oh, that's not orange. Those are green eyes. It's a different monster. And in reality, they're one and the same. So I think they're possibly very much the same. It makes sense. It's in the same time frame, uh, 1940s and 1960s. Um, so, yeah, there's that. I don't know if it's really an alien it's interesting that it just disappeared after 1991, I think, was the last sighting for that one. Somewhere in there, yeah. It wasn't, uh, or, yeah, yeah, between 1960, or, yeah, 1960 and 1983, I believe, were the two sightings for the orange eyes. Okay. And then 1959 was the only one for the Charles uh, Mills monster. Right. Yeah, um, so, you know, I, I definitely think that they could probably be linked together as one creature. Um, I know I had mentioned to you that I thought that um, the Loveland frog man and the crosswick monster might be the same, but Mm -hmm. the only reason I think that it could not have been is there was no instances of the frog man attacking. Okay. Um, Okay. So I kind of caught that after I had, I'd said to you, they could be one in the same, but there was no instances of the frogmen attacking, just people coming across them and them like walking across the street or something. Nowhere did it say it attacked the car or anything like that, or that it had any type of teeth or anything. Cause in the crosswick, it grabs a child and drags it. So, mm-hmm. right. Um, the dogmen, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, could it be, Ohio's very own dog Ben. Could they be crossovers from Michigan or uh, elsewhere? Could they simply be black bear, which Ohio is pretty prominent to have? Well, the dogmen as as well as the Bigfoot are one of the ones that I'm just riding the fence on. I I honestly cannot say without a shadow of a doubt, a doubt that these things are physical creatures in nature. Um, if they are physical creatures, both Dogman and Bigfoot, um, I mean, there it could be these things migrating uh, back and forth. But, in, I mean, in my opinion, like I said, I'm on the fence as to whether these things are even real. Or that they don't have some type of spiritual aspect in nature because um, a lot of the instances and and experiences by people almost makes you wonder what these creatures are or if they exist at all. So, but like I said, if it's a physical animal or, or creature of some kind where it's not 100% humanly intelligent, it would have some type of migration uh, route because there's numerous sightings throughout the U.S. of Bigfoot. Um, Dogman, there's large amounts of sightings in Michigan, Ohio, New York, Pennsylvania, um, a lot in the Midwest area. Um, I, I'm sure there are other instances going more west, but it's kind of 
linked to the East Coast, sort of. Yeah, the East Coast, or the, just the Midwest in general. I feel like it's the majority of these things that that are we talk about on a regular basis here on the show happens to be within the northern Midwest, uh, where there's a lot of trees, a lot of you know dense forestry and things like that. As opposed to the deserts and stuff like that out west or the southern area. I mean, there's stuff in the south for sure, especially the east east coast side of the south. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously on the west side, uh, y- y- there's still cryptids, but we're thinking more of Native American lore. We're talking about shapeshifters and thunderbirds and you know things of that nature. Uh, so there is really an interesting like line drawn down the center of the United States that separate the two types of overall cryptids that we can talk about. I mean, there's basically your desert cryptids and then you have your forestry cryptids and the ones that we see in the Midwest, especially here in Ohio in this case, or within Pennsylvania, New York, uh, Wisconsin, Michigan, Indiana, Iowa, Kentucky, Tennessee, those areas, uh, they tend to be the Bigfoots. And, and like you said, the, the dogman and some of these other forestry type cryptids. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I I honestly can't say, like I said, one way or the other. What are are you on the same page as me, where you're pretty much on the fence to the point no, where it's no, ske- I believe, skepticism? I it's all true. I think it's all true. One hundred percent. You're so full of crap. <laughs> <laughs> I think. Um, no, I mean, I no. Of course, I'm uh, I'm with you on the fence with most of it. Uh, I can't say that I necessarily believe in anything in terms of cryptids. Um, I think I have a greater belief in some of the 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 lake and the river monsters, especially when you're considering like Lake Erie, how deep it is, and the ocean, how deep right. that is. You know, so much unexplored. Um, but I mean, the forest is kind of similar in a way because the whole forest hasn't been explored. You know, the national parks haven't been explored entirely. Um, well, because yeah. there could be cave systems that these things go into. Right, but. absolutely. And, you know, it, there are, you know, I've witnessed things. I've seen things uh, spiritually. I've seen things cryptidly. You know, I've talked about that on the show before regarding the Bigfoot mm-hmm. thing in West Virginia. Um, and even though I realized in the end what it wasn't, you know, you still had that question is what if it was? You right. Know, and if it was, would that really allow me to believe? And the question is, I don't know. Because, you know, whatever. I mean, there's so many things. Aliens, for example, extraterrestrials. Uh, when I was a kid, I had what I would consider an extraterrestrial encounter, an alien encounter. Um, now, most people, psychologists, uh, anyone who's sane, would probably say it was just a dream. But at the point when I woke up, I mean, it was... I don't remember anything before it or anything after. I, well, I remember after, but anything before it, all I remember is sleeping and there was this really bright flash white light, like bright white flash of light. And it startled me so much that I woke up screaming in my sleep. Like I, just, I just woke up screaming. It's a night terror effect, you know? Mm-hmm. And when I woke up, mind you, I was only a kid. I was maybe around, I don't know, between seven and 10. I don't remember exactly. 
But I remember it like it was yesterday. And even then, I thought it was aliens. You know, I thought it was an extraterrestrial encounter. And to this day, I still think that there was something of the same nature. Now, whether or not it was, I have no idea. I don't know if that was the prelude or the beginning of the demonic attack several years ago or what it could have been. But I think when it comes to aliens and extraterrestrials, if I believe in anything, I'm, I am definitely lean more positively toward extraterrestrial, uh, I guess, reality and, and something living beyond our mm. own planet, you know, physically speaking. Uh, right, I think the biggest question with extraterrestrials is how are they getting here? Not so much that they exist, but how are they getting here if they're here with right, us? Right. And, and you know what? And actually, guys, I think that's something I, you and I, Justin, I really want to talk about on a show uh, relatively soon because I mean, we've covered aliens, obviously, in the past. Aliens have always been one of the m- more fun episodes for everyone as well, uh, along with hauntings and cryptids. But what's interesting is I've been seeing, like, reading a lot and seeing a lot on television is this idea of the what do you consider it? Like the technology, the technology boom, uh, between the mm-hmm. 1940s and today, uh, because prior to the 1940s, technology wasn't the most up to, you know, it wasn't like the most popular like, boom. We got, you know, this most amazing piece of technology, uh, technology didn't really start coming around too much until after 1947. And in the 1950s, 60s, 70s, 80s, we started seeing a huge increase in technology and what that technology was capable of doing. Even today, in such a short period of time, uh, we have technology that back then you would never even dream about. It happened so fast. And what's really interesting about that is, of course, what happened in the 1940s that we're all very much aware of, or most of us. Do you? I mean, do you know what happened in the 1940s that could possibly be the result of this technology technology boom based on what we know? Here the paranormal. Well, I mean, there's two. Um, one being the Roswell incident, mm-hmm. the other being the end of World War II, and mm-hmm. the German uh, scientists being brought over to the U.S. with Project Paperclip. Right. So, so I mean, there's two things, that, and both uh, are very interesting. I know a lot of um, um, conspiracy theorists really lean towards the the Roswell incident as being one of the main sources to our technology um, increase and in, in just up to production. Uh, and of course, Project Paperclip surely could be a good thing, could definitely be a, a, a certain thing as well in helping us create that technology boom. Um, but for all we know, and, and I don't think you and I have ever actually really gotten deep into Paperclip very much. We've, we've talked about American, you know, conspiracies and things like that, like Project Blue Book and uh, what was the other one, Blue Beam or something like that. Right. We I think we vaguely mentioned Paperclip, but we didn't delve into we actually it. We did into it, yeah. Um, so if we ever do decide to do like conspiracy thing or secret society type thing and all that, that's something maybe we would talk about too during this whole extraterrestrial kind of conversation regarding technology. But yeah, it's really interesting to me. Like, where and why did this technology all of a sudden just, you know, overnight become such such an important thing in our lives and so prominent within the world and in, particularly in the United States? I mean. Right. Right. Well, there you go, folks. I think we have set for an, the next two seasons <laughs> what, what we're going to be doing here. Um, well, before we end the show, 
not to really put you on the spot, but I've been really craving all the hats. So I was kind of curious if there's any insights, if, if it's coming back, when it's coming back, anything like that for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, (laughs) actually I haven't talked to, to, to my co-host in a while about it just because, you know, we've been so many miles apart lately since I haven't been in Georgia. Uh, the plan was to release new episodes starting in February because I was supposed to go back to Georgia in February. And that didn't happen because of this project that I'm working on. Um, but from what I understand, there are several projects in the bin uploaded waiting to be released. Those will not be released until I get there so I can finish an intro outro type thing. Uh, and then those will probably be coming to you guys. And I can't make promises, uh, to anyone who's listening or to you, Justin, but, uh, if you're interested in all the hats and you like the show, I would say, look forward to it probably second or third week of April. Likely okay. third week. Uh, so, yeah, we'll start putting those out again very soon. I personally love it just because, you know, you and I have talked about the business because you've been in it for a while. But it's interesting to hear your guys' back and forth because James is an audio guy where you're kind of a, a more of a producer, director type person and, and mm-hmm. writer. Um, so... I, I'm definitely looking forward to it. So I figured, what the heck, I'd I'd at least ask. So, all right, folks, uh, that's all we got for you this week. Uh, we will actually be off next week uh, due to some scheduling stuff going on. So uh, stay tuned for more episodes of this series in Season 7 and uh, the end of Season 7 coming up soon. So until then... My name is Justin. And I'm Eric. Peace. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased, and essential world news daily.